I will tell, tell you, I celebrate with you the goodness and faithfulness of God. And he has shown up so many times in ways we would never expect. And I am grateful anytime I can see the hand of God at work. Um, I will tell you that it has been an incredible blessing to be with you this week. In fact, I have been with you throughout much of this week. And before I get into the message, I want to thank you for being living examples of what's being preached on Sundays. And you've already heard some of that. Last week, I preached on the first two fruits of the Spirit, on love and joy. Uh, I suggested that those who are filled with the Spirit, these two characteristics ought to flow out of us even when things aren't going great in our lives. Understand that I do realize that sometimes we leak uh, the Holy Spirit is present, but things happen and the pressure builds up within us and we leak. And sometimes, even though the Holy Spirit may be there, some of those things like love and joy may not be as strong as they ought to be. Sometimes we need to be refilled, much like David when he prayed, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. But over this past week, I have witnessed multiple acts of love and joy in spite of difficult circumstances, and all from people within this body of believers. I've seen one of you who was unfairly rebuked by someone that you loved very much, yet you offered unconditional love in response. I've seen one who was betrayed and heartbroken, who found a way to praise God in spite of that. I have seen one who seems to be losing her battle with cancer, Yet her joy continues to pour out of her. I've seen a family whose medical hopes were crushed, yet they thanked God for his grace and faithfulness in the midst of it. And I've seen one of you, as was just referenced, lose an appendage only to light up an entire floor of a hospital with the joy of the Lord. Thank you for being doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Thank you for putting into practice the word of God so that it affects every aspect of your lives. I'm the pastor, and I'm the one who's supposed to be inspiring you, yet at the same time, I come in here this morning inspired by the work that God is doing in your lives, and I celebrate with you the fact that God is faithful. And he will be there to provide. And there will be times where things don't happen the way we want them to. But we can still have that joy. We can still have that love. And as we've been singing about, and I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, we can have that peace in knowing that God is going to be faithful. He will walk with us. He will guide us. He will protect us. He will be faithful all the way through. Today we celebrate his work and I am honored to call myself your pastor as I get to see you guys doing exactly what the scripture calls us to do. Well, today I do want to continue in this series on spirit-filled evangelism. I remember that I intentionally grouped those two terms, spirit-filled and evangelism, together. And the primary reason is because I believe very firmly that when we become spirit-filled, when the Holy Spirit is the thing that pours out of us, splashes out of us, so that others can notice it, naturally evangelism will take place. When we are filled with the love which comes from the Holy Spirit, it is a natural tendency. We will love the people around us. We will care whether or not 
not they are going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. When we are filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, it is only natural that people will be drawn to us because there's something attractive about people who are filled with joy. We've all been around people who are not filled with joy, some who are very bitter and angry, and sometimes they just don't enjoy life. Would you rather be with someone like that or would you rather be with someone who, man, when they walk in the room, the room lights up? I will tell you, I love to see the joy of others and the rest of the world does too. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, there is a natural connection with being Spirit-filled and being evangelists, those who would share the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember also that these spiritual gifts, these fruits of the Spirit, they are not intended to be standalone character traits. They aren't supposed to be a la carte items where you pick and choose which ones you may want in your life, but rather they are supposed to be present in everyone who is a believer. Remember that they are weaved together in much the same way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are weaved together to form the Trinity. Listen to the list of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, and 23, as we read last week. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And today, as we continue to apply these fruits of the Spirit... We're going to look at a fruit that our world desperately needs. We need peace. There are many different aspects of peace that we should consider. Of course, our world in general needs peace. It seems that there's always some sort of fighting somewhere in the world. There are always soldiers who are being placed in harm's way. There are always political and ideological battles that are occurring. Yet the battles that occur on foreign battlefields and in the political realm, they pale in comparison to those battles that are often fought in our homes. Abuse can take place in so many different forms, and our our homes can become a place where often we dread being there. Yet all of that would change if the peace of God were to enter into those places. Yet these aspects of peace are secondary to the peace that is offered in the hearts of those who know Jesus Christ. That's the kind of peace that I want us to focus on this morning. If you would, I ask you to turn in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen, but sometimes for me, it's helpful to be able to look at the scripture in my hand. We're going to be in John chapter 16 this morning, and initially, all we're going to look at is the first seven verses. I will tell you, if you remember last week, we were in John chapter 14. Actually, most of the time, I can't remember what happened yesterday, so this is kind of a a reminder. Last week, we were in John 14. Now, I know that they're two chapters apart. You've got 14, 15, I guess three chapters apart. Now you've got verse in chapter 16. Um, it sounds like you've got multiple addresses, but in reality, chapters 14 through 16 are all one address. 
uh, Jesus is speaking, and as he's speaking, he's touching on all these different issues, and they're all kind of weaved together. It's important not to separate uh, the discussion here on the Holy Spirit in chapter 14 from what we read in chapter 16. They all come together. I know sometimes it's hard to keep people's attention when you speak for long periods of time. Uh, if I go past 1130, you guys think Pastor Mike was really long-winded today. I'm telling you, Jesus preached from chapter 14 through chapter 16, and probably they were loving it. I'm sure he was a better speaker than I was, but that's not really the, the point. The point here is this. What we see in chapter 14 is connected to what we read here in chapter 16. It's all one. Listen to what it says. All this I have told you. All this. He's talking about from chapter 14 to now. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I know, as you look at that, you say, what does that have to do with peace? You will understand as we go through this this morning. Take a moment and consider what Jesus has told his disciples. Remember, he began with a statement, all this I have told you. Well, what did he tell them? Over the previous couple chapters, he has talked about his impending death. He has talked about how important their work will be. As it is the only way to salvation, John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, your message is really important. You can't let up. He's talked about the need for obedient Christian living. If you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. He's talked about a world that will hate the disciples. In fact, they will reach a point where they even want to kill the disciples, and he's introduced them to the promised Holy Spirit, which is what we focused on last week. Now listen to this. He begins this address by declaring why it is so important that you grasp what he's saying here. You're going to face hardship. You're going to be challenged. You're going to grieve, but the role you play is far too important. You are Christ's ambassadors. The rest of the world will be looking at you. You are living testaments to the saving work of Jesus Christ. And even though the world may hate you, there may be times they look at you and they despise what you stand for. You must stand strong. He doesn't want you as the body of Christ to fall away. I will tell you that without the Holy Spirit's active presence in your life, it is likely that a time will come where you will fall away. I'm telling you, you don't have enough strength on your own to stand. 
Satan is one who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it is his desire to defeat you above everything else because he knows that if he can defeat you, in many ways he defeats God because God loves you more than life itself. Understand that as Satan strives to defeat you, you cannot do it on your own. But I'm also going to tell you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, all of us can be victors in Christ. There will be times that you will become overwhelmed. You will lose sight of your purpose. You will forget how much God really does love you. Those words may never come from your mouths. You may say, well, I don't know that God loves me anymore, but they will be demonstrated through your actions. That's why Jesus keeps emphasizing the Holy Spirit's work and his role in all of this. We need him. Now consider the timing of what Jesus is saying. Just for a moment, think about why he's telling them this. He says in verse 4 that he didn't share this with you earlier because you didn't really need it. He says, I was with you, so none of this really mattered. But now, I'm leaving. You're going to need to be ready. I'd like to point out that this does give a little bit of clarification for me on something. If you remember the calling of the first disciples, you had Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were actually the first ones that Jesus would call to follow him. And he gives them a very simple invitation. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was a very inviting invitation. When you think about it, they were fishermen. So for them, that was something they were comfortable with. They knew exactly what he meant by fishing and the idea that you could apply these principles, something that they enjoyed doing, that they were good at. You could apply that to the ministry, to be able to walk with Jesus as the master and the teacher and to be able to learn from him. It was a very inviting invitation. Yet later on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus would say to his disciples, anyone who would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. I will tell you, that's not quite as inviting. The cross was a symbol of punishment and hatred, and, and, and in many ways, it was an admission of sin. The cross was a punishment for those who had committed heinous crimes, We think of Jesus dying on the cross, and sometimes we assume he was perhaps the first one to have to suffer on the cross. But actually, there were many who suffered on the cross, although most of them deserved their punishment. Jesus is the one who did not. But consider, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Why did Jesus' message change? Actually, his message didn't change, but over those first few years, they would be blessed with the presence of Jesus Christ in a physical form with them. They wouldn't need to understand what it meant to take up his cross, but they did need to understand that they had a job to do, a role to play. The time would come, though, that Jesus would have to go. And when that time came, they would need to be ready to take up their cross and to follow after him. Now Jesus is about to be crucified and gone. Instead of depending on the physical presence of Jesus, they will need to depend on the presence of the promised Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought to yourself about how great it would be to live during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry? 
I admit that I have. The idea of being able to walk and to talk with Jesus is sometimes a little bit overwhelming. To be able to witness firsthand the miracles of Jesus would be the coolest thing in the world. You remember when the the four men brought their friend to Jesus, lowered him from the ceiling, laid him down right in front of Jesus, and Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven, and then told him to get up and walk, and he got up, he took his mat, and he went home. How cool would that have been to be able to be present at that very moment? Remember the woman who had the continuous issue of blood, and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment? And everybody else, they're looking at Jesus like he's crazy when he says, who touched me? Because all these people are crowding in. But Jesus knew someone had touched him. And this woman steps up and she explains, it was me. The very moment that I touched the hem of his garment, I was healed. The blind who are made to see, the lepers who are made clean. How cool would it be to be able to see the miracles that Jesus committed firsthand? In fact, I admit, I was thinking about this just this past week. I was making a hospital visit and thinking about how cool it would be to see Jesus walk into the room and touch a man just to see him get up and be raised and be whole. As I thought about this idea of living during Jesus' day or bringing Jesus into my day, my mind went back to last Sunday's message, though. If Jesus and the Holy Spirit are truly one, if Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to empower, to teach, to remind, to comfort, and to heal, then the same miracles which Jesus performed ought to be possible today. We don't have to jump into a time machine to see the power of God at work in our midst. God is here today through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes we see that through the joy and the love and in the peace that he gives, but he shows up. He is just as faithful today as he ever was. Well, I've said an awful lot considering I haven't really gotten to the word peace yet. So let's address the peace issue. It's a simple statement that Jesus makes at the end of verse 5 and in verse 6. He says, none of you ask me. Where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. What he's saying is that these people, the disciples, they are filled with grief because of the difficulty that is about to take place. They are filled with grief because they'll be hated and because Jesus is leaving. But understand in all of that, their grief is about themselves. He says, nobody's even asking where I'm going because all you can see is how this is going to make life harder on you. It's like their world is being turned upside down and all the peace that they've had from being with Jesus over these past three years seems to be fading very quickly. My, how similar we are to Jesus's disciples. As long as everything is going great in our lives, as long as everything happens the way we expect it to happen, there is great peace. But the moment that changes, peace goes out the window. Let me show you how this works. We go to church on Sunday morning. We walk away encouraged to be a child of God. Our attitude reflects the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives until the next day 
when the school principal calls to tell us that our kids have done something that they should not have done. Suddenly that sense of joy and peace goes out the window. We then stew in our frustration and our sorrow for the next day or two until the boss calls us into his office to inform us that we're going to be getting that raise that they had promised us months ago. Suddenly, a peace overcomes us again. We ride that high until we receive word that our spouse is ill and perhaps there is a serious illness. And once again, that peace goes out the window. You don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of us have ever experienced this up and down roller coaster peace in our lives. Where one moment we've got it and the next moment, wow, it seems so far away. Let me assure you that you are not alone, but I also assure you that your peace should not be dependent upon your circumstances. Jesus is saying to his disciples that while you're worried about yourself, while you're worried about what tomorrow will look like, you can trust that I have everything under my control. In fact, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit just so you know. It's interesting to note that depending on which version of Scripture you're reading from, a different term is used regarding the Holy Spirit. They're all translating the same word. It's parakletos, which can actually be translated in three different ways. The one I read to you earlier is from the NIV, and it refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate. This kind of gives us the image of a legal representative who is pleading our case. And there's a beauty within that, and certainly it fits with the role of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit does in many ways plead our case. Another way to translate this word is counselor, similar to the one who guides through grief and emotional issues. Again, it fits with the role of the Holy Spirit as our counselor, our, the one who is there to help guide us along the right path. But the one that I like most comes from the King James Version, where it refers to the Holy Spirit as our comforter. Within this term, we see where peace originates. It's found in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There are many things that can bring comfort, but few bring a comfort that will truly last. For some, not for me because I don't like it, but for some of you, chocolate brings you comfort. But the comfort wears off along with your teeth. The comfort wears off as the taste leaves your mouth. For others, it may be the company of another person that brings you comfort. You love having them around, but guess what? Even that, eventually, the comfort will begin to wear off. For others, it may be an addiction, or maybe it's something healthy, like a healthy bank account. But none of these things will give you a lasting peace. There will always come a time when you will long for more. But the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, will always be enough for you. This reminds me of the story of Jesus when he met the Samaritan woman at the well. 
In John 4, verses 13 to 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. He's talking to a a young lady who simply needed to know the Spirit of God alive within her. Don't be mistaken about what I just read. Jesus wasn't really speaking of water. He was speaking of the Spirit. In fact, water is often used to indicate the Spirit in his scriptures. Listen to a few examples. Isaiah 44 verse 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Here we are talking about water. Actually, we're talking about the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 13, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. As Jesus talks about this living water, he's talking about something that will bring satisfaction all the days of their lives, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. I will tell you that regardless of what you face tomorrow, there is peace through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this peace is a peace that passes all understanding. Greg stood up and he shared about the unexpected events that took place after Sunday's service last week. In the midst of the unexpected, there is still peace. Many of you will have a great week. And you're going to come back next week and think, wow, God was so good to me this week. Others, you're going to leave this place and the unexpected is going to take place will you also be able to express how good God has been even when the unexpected occurs? As you listen this morning, as you consider what the Word of God says to you, I wonder, do you truly have peace today? If not, why not? There are two possibilities. Just like I said at the beginning And like I shared last week, first you need to ask yourself whether the Holy Spirit is truly present in your life. If he is, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control all ought to be present in us. The second reason, the second question you need to ask is perhaps, have I leaked too much of the peace that God gives me? And maybe just as I mentioned this morning and last week, as David prayed, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Maybe today you simply need to say, God, I need your peace once more. I've leaked too much. I need you to fill me up.
I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. But I know that my God is faithful and he will always be enough. If you would, I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to read a couple of verses to you. And then I want to challenge you. Paul says in Philippians 4, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Actually, with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm going to ask you also to stand. If you would, stand. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Sometimes I have you raise your hands. Sometimes I simply challenge you. Today I want to open up the altar. Maybe today you need to come before him simply to receive his peace. Maybe you need an initial infilling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are not yet a child of God, but today you need to receive the Spirit of God in your life. The forgiveness that only he can grant. Or maybe today you've simply leaked so much that you need to be refilled. I'm going to open up the altar. There's not going to be any music playing. As we pray, I'm going to pray just a simple prayer, asking for God to speak to you, and then the altar is open. Father, I pray for each one who is here right now. I pray that if there is one who needs your peace, that right now they would find it. But I pray that you would minister to us in Jesus' name. Still with head bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone who would like to come forward and pray this morning? I'm going to assume that every one of you has the peace of God in your life. Not just a little bit of it, but to the point that it flows out of you, it splashes out of you. And if that's the case, I celebrate that. But I also want you to know that if that's not you, that God's Spirit desires to dwell in you and to fill you with all peace. Father, once again, we come before you, and we are grateful for the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, you have walked with many this week, and you have granted us great grace and comfort in the midst of some very difficult things. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being with us during the more difficult experiences of life. Thank you for being with us during the times of great celebration and joy. Lord, thank you that no matter what we go through, whether it be good or bad in our eyes, Lord, you are faithful to be with us. Grant us now your peace as we leave this place. Use us, work in us in a mighty way so that the world around us might know that there is something different in these individuals because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, work in us that this world might be changed. We give you honor and praise tonight, today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do thank you for being with us this morning. If you would, go with the peace of God. Nate, by the way, I forgot to mention, we celebrated Nate and Mandy. The reason is because this is their last Sunday with us, and we are so grateful to have you guys. Thank you for being with us.